Absolutely. That was like in the paper. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That, that, I, like, I read that and I was like... Well, and, uh, honestly, I'm in the process of writing a book, so... Hello, everybody. Welcome to the homecoming from ComingToAmericaBaseball.com. I'm here on my in my hometown of Long Island, not too far from Deer Park, where I grew up. This guy went to high school and tore it up, and I got cut in 10th grade. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't my fault. So I had to live through him vicariously and didn't coach him in baseball, but coached him in roller hockey. None other than Joe Valentine. Joe, thanks for coming on the program. No problem, thank you. You will be all over the internet and some people in Asia will see this as well. Very cool, very cool. So listen, man, uh, it's been a minute. Yeah. I think the last time I saw you was the late 90s. Probably 97. Yeah. yeah. You graduated high school in 97? Yeah, 97. Okay. And tell me about that experience with your Park High School, played for a very special coach, yeah. Con Arnage, Indiana, who yeah. I have a lot of respect for, yeah. although he caught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, uh, you know, my, my few years there uh, at the varsity level with them, with Coach Argentiano, was just, you know, amazing. He helped me become who I am today, you know, as a, as a baseball player, but as a person, too. He always told me, you know, you have the talent, you just got to believe in yourself. And sooner or later, I think that came through. Senior in high school, I remember going to some of those games. You guys went to the state title. Yeah, we went. No, we, we went to the state state title my senior year, and we lost in the finals. Um, we just, you know, were taxed. I mean, we had a lot had a lot of pitching, but it was came down to me staying behind the plate and not throwing that game. And if it uh, things were different, it might have worked out a little bit. And you were a catcher then. Yeah, my primary position was was a catcher. Um, I only started really pitching in my junior year of high school, and it went well, and I threw hard. But as you know, an athlete, they didn't want to take me away from catching too much, so I primarily stayed back there until you know I got drafted almost. So that's where I met Joe. Yeah. Late '90s. Fast forward to today. You were with the Cincinnati Reds, three years up in the big leagues. Yeah. You were with the second team of the Chinichi Dragons. Yeah. And now, what's going on? I'm living my life. I have two beautiful daughters. Um, we've got a beautiful girlfriend, uh, Lauren. And, you know, I'm just living life. I'm teaching baseball, you know, six, seven days a week. So it's keeping me heavily involved in the game. And, and it's passing my knowledge on to, you know, the younger kids of, uh, you know, the next generation. You got an itch to try out for the Ducks or try out for an independent league team? Yeah, I, I did the Ducks for, for the few years when I came back. Um, be able to play in front of the family and, and play close to home was something that I always wanted. Um, but yeah, that itch is always going to be there until probably I realize I'm too old to do it. Tell me about your most memorable experience in MLB. Um, well, besides getting the first phone call, you know, uh, of, of realizing you just got off the phone with the pitcher coach that's telling you you got to fly out in four hours and you're going to L.A., um, that was one of them. But I think my 
pitching coach was uh, was a gentleman by the name of Mac Jenkins, who was the AAA pitching coach with Louisville, uh, and called me up and said, hey, you know, see you later. It was nice to know you. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you're going to the big leagues. And, and to get off the phone, look at my roommate, my teammate, and be like, I'm going to the big leagues. And he looked at me, he hugged me, and he says, all right, start making phone calls. You know, so I, I was like, got the schedule. I was flying out to L.A. for a West Coast trip. I called, you know, everybody, my family. And sooner or later, I was on the flight and in uniform eight hours later. So it was a whirlwind. Whirlwind, whirlwind. But the most memorable playing was probably when I first got my first career save. And it was in Arizona, uh, one, two, three, nine. And Do you remember who you faced in the uh, outs there? Quentin McCracken, uh, Alan Zimprich, who I became very close with later on in my playing career. And... Um, can't remember the third, but those are the two guys that stick out in my mind. Quentin McCracken had a long, long playing career. Um, but I just remembered after Sean Casey, who's well known around baseball being like the mayor, he gave me a bear hug and I couldn't even breathe. He was so happy for me, but I was still just in the state of shock, like, wow, like, I'm in the record books having to have a save. So that was another neat experience. Not too many people can say that. No, no. And, and if they can, great to them. But, I, you know, I, I, was, I was just blessed. Biggest out for you? Most memorable out? Uh, my most memorable out was probably one of my first close ball games. Cincinnati had a very um, different way of bringing guys into close ball games. It was a few blowout games, uh, whether we're up by a bunch of runs or down by a bunch of runs. But the first time I got called was to a tight ball game. It was, uh, we were up 2-1 to one in St. Louis with two outs, two guys on, and they said, you're in. I didn't really realize who I was going up against until I got out there, and it was out pools and I'm sitting there I'm like you know in St. Louis in St. Louis so I'm sitting there thinking there's no better place and no worse place to be right now I wound up striking him out looking on a fastball after three after four pitches um, on a pitch that probably was a little outside but it was still a strike and I walked off and I was like what you know what just happened you know, and my catcher's like, you know, you got that call, and nobody gets that call. And I'm like, you know, sitting there thinking, like, then why did I get that call? It was just one of those things that was just ma magical. And, uh, yeah, it was, I'll never forget that one as well. Wow, unbelievable. You yeah. talked about Sin Su Chi. We talked about yeah. before. There's a lot of people in Korea who watch yeah. the podcast and yeah. listen. Hello, everybody in Korea. I'll be back in another month. I miss you all. <laughs> Joe will be here in Comac. Yeah. Maybe coming over to visit at some point. I would Sin love to. Sin Su Chu. Yeah. I mean, you know, him and Ryu are the, are the heroes over there. Yeah. All their games are played live and replayed 100 times yeah. a day. Yeah. Tell us about your relationship with him, what, you know, your, your dealings with him. Well, I, like I said, I only knew him as an opposing player uh, with Cleveland. Uh, we were in Cincinnati and we played them in the you know interleagues, but we played them every year. And and he seemed just like a consummate professional. He knew exactly what he was doing. His preparation was, from my understanding, impeccable. And you saw that translate into the games. Um, you know, he's, he's a very difficult out, uh, you know, because he covered the plate so well. But, you know, you, you just respected a guy for 
dealing with what he had to deal with because it's not an easy transition to come over from you know his home to now a foreign place and for it to have translated so well you know again you got to tip your hat to a guy like that did you face him uh, no, never went. I got close, but wound up switching and doing all this stuff. But because it was, uh, we were at the American League Park, so the pitchers never got to to hit. Before the show, we talked a little bit about about this whirlwind trade that you were involved in. I don't know if it's in the, if it could be in the Guinness Book of yeah. World Records, but talk us through it. And basically, in a nutshell, you started with one team and wound up with the same team after the trade was it over. It was it was the the Rule Five Draft, which is. Uh, you know, a lot of to players stored in a certain roster. I got picked up by Montreal from the White Sox, then immediately sold to Detroit. Um, I had all spring training to make the uh, big league roster. Um, unfortunately, the last day of camp, I thought I actually made the team. Uh, it was called into the office for what I thought was a congratulations, and it was, by the way, um, not only are you not staying with us, you're going back to the White Sox. And I said to myself, but, but my car is on the transport outside about he heading 1,300 no miles north to Detroit. I said, what do I, so I, I ran out of the office, got my car off the transporter and started making phone calls. And not knowing where I was, where I was going, I was just assuming I was going to double A in the minor leagues. And that was it. That was it. That was Back it. Back with the White Sox. Back with the White Sox. And 10 minutes of telling me no and then yes and then no. So. Do you think it's harder nowadays for a guy to make it up to the bigs than it was when you were coming up? Have the guys gotten stronger? Is there a lot more competition? A lot more guys trained from a younger age? Well, yeah, I, d I definitely do think the training has definitely taken a step in the right direction. Um, you know, unfortunately, me, I was still involved in, you know, a steroid era and performing its enhancing era. So there was a lot of turnaround because a lot of guys were, were doing a lot of things that humans shouldn't do unnaturally. So there was a lot of guys throwing 100 miles an hour. There was a lot of guys, you know, constantly hitting 300, 320 and, and hitting 35 and 100 RBIs. Now you do see that, but I think the time for development in the minor leagues is a little bit more substantial. Back then, if you weren't producing, you were gone. There's some development now starting to go again with the minor leagues and giving guys time to see what happens. And, and I think that's an advantage them, and I think it's a rightful advantage. I think, you know, our past players kind of took that for granted. Do you feel maybe if you got in now, if the steroid era is over, you would have had a better chance? Because the hitters you know, aren't hitting the ball as, as hard and far as they were. I would, hate, I would hate to say no, but I, yeah, I mean, in, you think about that sometimes? Absolutely. Do I think, you know, would have... Would it help me now if I was 24 now instead of 34? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I would probably have a little bit longer career um, and, and and had a little bit more success. But in hindsight, it is what it is, and I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Fair enough. You know? We talked about the Ducks before, yeah. and you played with them. And that league, uh, you mentioned on Facebook, yeah. something about the progression of the league. You weren't exactly happy with it where it started and where it is now is what around 13 years now yeah I think it's close to about 13 years since it's been you know built up but you know it's one of those things where they've 
feel like they have a stranglehold on the players because the players want to continue their career and get back. And yet, I don't think if you've asked anybody after 13 years of pay wage playing for the same employee that you've never gotten a pay increase. And over there, it's been a set scale. They haven't done anything with wages since the, the league has been uh, created. Well, what do you guys make there? Just out of curiosity about... The top, the top paying guy was 3000 a month before taxes. And they all put you, they put you all in a house or something? They, they, they try to. They try to put you into an, uh, you know, a house or an apartment that's um, paid for, but some of them had to chip in to pay for it because some of the places that they were trying to put them in weren't you know, satisfactory in bad neighborhoods. So you know, they did what they could do to satisfy the player, but there's probably so much more they could have. So you'd like to see them step it up? Oh, I would, I would love to. I would love to see them do a little bit more for the players because I'm a player's player, and you know, without them, without the players, you don't have a product. Yes, you could go ahead and sign some high school kids and some college kids, but the product that you're promoting is not what's going to be on the field, and then it's going to start to hurt. And so, you know, I'd like to see the pay increase. I'd like to see them treat the players a little bit better, travel accommodations and all that stuff. But, you know, I hope it's not falling on deaf ears. When you were coming up back in the late 90s, there weren't as many academies, baseball academies on the island and all these travel teams and everything. I mean, I looked um, on the Internet off season yeah. and there was a travel team called the Nexon Heroes yeah. which is which is a baseball team in Korea yeah. is gotten out of control is it watered down is it really because when, when we were when I was growing up you were on a travel team you were damn good yeah you were selected you know amongst many many people now it seems like much anyone can get on the travel team there there are the the opportunities to have a watered down product but I think what's happening now is that there is so many more sports-specific training places that these kids are getting better at an earlier age. So do I think that there's a lot of teams out there? Yes, but I do really firmly believe after working with kids for about 10 years now that the product that we're starting to see develop at 11, 12, 13 is a lot better than what it was now. And I think that's just human nature. What, what do you attribute it to most um, Why are these kids getting so? Well, genetically, I think we're getting a little bit stronger as a yeah. as a person. But I do, I, I firmly believe the, that these parents are putting their kids in the right position with instructors like myself and and instructors that I'm here with that know the game, that play the game at a high level, and it's giving these kids more insight and more ability at a younger age. Yeah. You think it's too much? Or some of these kids are getting burnt out. They're playing, you know, as when we were growing up, we played in yeah. the summer. That was pretty much it. Now yeah. they're going to the academies in the winter, traveling to Dominican, to Florida on their vacations. Is it too much for some of these kids? Sometimes. I mean, I, I would say probably about 80% of them it's too much. You know, there's that 20% that are just wanting to go and they won't get burnt out. But, you know, some kids I had this year were playing up to Thanksgiving, which, you know, could be 25 degrees and snow out. And by the time they give their body enough rest, you know, school starts, baseball starts, 
March and preparation wise in January and February, you really only giving the kid a month off. And it's not only just about baseball, it's about just being a kid. You know, it's about enjoying being a kid and staying up late and not worrying about, you know, I got a game at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, for 40 weeks out of the year. It's being a kid. I, I think we're losing a little bit of sight of that though. Okay, you're listening to the, and watching the Coming to America Baseball.com podcast. Joe Valentine with me here this week. Uh, Cincinnati Reds, Long Island Ducks, Deer Park Falcons, yeah. and Chinichi Dragons, yeah. minor league team. How was that experience in Japan for you? I loved it. I loved it. Uh, it was definitely a life-changing experience to be able uh, to go over there and, and to see what baseball was like overseas. Uh, you know, I'd seen it in the Dominican and Puerto Rico and Mexico. With some winter leagues? In the winter leagues, mm-hmm. but to see it played on just a grand scale like the Americans do was still an unbelievable sight. Did you have a minute in Japan where you're like, wait a minute, this is almost like a different game? Think of an instance or an yeah, I, there was there was a few instances that that I thought, wow, I can't believe we just did that. But um, you know, the the first thing that pops into mind was um, I was watching the big league game and saw a one-two hitter get on, and we had Kosuke Fukudome, who was at that time like the reigning MVP. And they had a bunt in the first inning. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, okay, not a bad idea, but you have Tyrone Woods who just hit 47 home runs behind you. They're not going to walk him. They walked him. Three runs later or four runs later, we got the advantage, but I would have never imagined my life seeing an MVP bunt with no outs, and on first and second in the first inning. But it happened. Did you ever get into it with a manager or coach there? No, 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 not at all. I would never, I'm not that type of guy. It was more of a respect thing. Um, I knew through the translators have an open line of communication and to, you know, trust their decisions and I, I left it up to them. What about the training there and the practice? Is it much more than in the States with like at the minor league or the MLB level? There was there was a lot more running. Yeah. Uh, the training was not so much. The spring trainings lasted about the same time-wise during um, during the day. The Japanese spring training was about two weeks longer. Right. So it did drag on a little bit, but the running was what I was still. I gives me nightmares now. Did they make you go high in the pitch counts when you were practicing? No, they did not. They respected me to know that I was a reliever to to stay away from you know the 60 amount, uh, the 70 amount. I usually typically did my bullpens around 40, and then you know shut it down and go back you know on the day after or, or whatnot. Did you did you ever read any books before you went there? Like uh, like Robert Whiting's uh, uh, the the meaning of law. No, I did not. My agent. Or Ichiro, the meaning of sorry, the meaning of Ichiro, and you gotta have law. No. Yeah. No, I didn't. Unfortunately, my agent, who had played over in Japan, Terry Bross, said the only things you need to do was watch Mr. Baseball. <laughs> Tom Selleck, right? Tom Selleck. Yep. Um, and learn to eat sushi, which was not a problem because I love sushi right. before that. But uh, he said, you know, just go over there with a blind, you know, an opened eye. Don't have any. Um, kind of preconceived thoughts and let it just come to you. And so that's what I tried to do. Now, unfortunately, you didn't make it up to the Chinese yeah. Dragons first team. We were talking a little bit before. Yeah. 
Can you tell me that story again about how you dropped the weight there and lost yeah, the muscle? Yeah, it was, it was funny because I went to spring training at 215, which was my normal playing weight, and then about two weeks into spring training, I was like 195. And with that, my velocity dropped, and they were concerned with it. And I knew I was healthy. I just knew that I wasn't going to throw that hard because I lost that 20 pounds right away. Maybe over time, could have my body gotten adjusted to it? Maybe. But after after dealing with it and hearing about it, I said, I need to gain weight. So on the way home from Aspen training site to our hotel in Okinawa, it was a McDonald's. So I politely asked Aki, my, my translator, I need five uh, five Big Macs. And he looked at me, he said, for today? I said, no, I said, I'm gonna eat one Big Mac before I go to bed for the next five days and then see it to how much weight I gain. He had these old Big Macs oh, yeah, in the refrigerator? Oh yeah, stored in the refrigerator. <laughs> I didn't mind because you know what? I had a microwave and okay. I did what I had to do. Um, so after a few days of that, I started seeing a little bit of a weight gain. So I kept on that for another about 10 days and started doing some more natural stuff, which was like, you know, protein and stuff like that. Wound up coming back, but my velocity was slowly coming back with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it worked. I mean, no one ever, you know, McDonald's diet. Yeah, McDonald's diet at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Guaranteed to yeah. gain weight. Yeah. What, uh, so t talk about that process yeah. there. And then, you know, you, unfortunately, you didn't, you didn't make it up. Yeah. But what was it? What, what will you take out of that and remember from that? Is it something, you know, that really benefited you in your career? Um, to respect. It, it, it was not that I lacked respect, but you just you didn't you didn't see it as much as you saw it over there. They respected anybody that walked into that clubhouse. You had to gain their respect, which was I think the right thing to do. You know, over in the states, it's you're supposed to be respected because you know you got a big contract or you hit 300 last year. There, it was a constant day in battle to gain the respect of your, your coaches, your players, not because of what you did yesterday, but what you're going to do today and how you're going to prepare for it. Did you joke around and make friends with some of the Japanese guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To this day, they're some of the funniest people I've ever met. <laughs> they love to have a good time. Did you do the whole karaoke thing? Did the whole karaoke, <laughs> did, did the whole, we're going to go out to dinner and feed you rice wine thing, oh, yeah. and waking up to stories of what I did for four hours. I was not knowing what I did. Were you living in Nagoya? Yeah, we lived in Nagoya. Yep, right by University. Last My pitch last pitch was, was uh, I wound up playing in Mexico in the summer because uh, the Long Island Ducks weren't paying the bills and went down there and um, wound up throwing my last pitch. Uh, we wound up getting a loss and I, I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, you know what, I, I think it's time to go home. When was this? This was in um, 2000, 2010. 2010, um, middle of that year during the summer, I, you know, threw, like I said, through my last pitch and was like, you know, what, what am I doing? You know, the dream I'm chasing now is further away and I'm not enjoying as much. So, you know, I packed up my stuff. And Do you feel like after it was all over, you kind of had to start all over in life? Because all you knew was baseball from 2010, you know, 13, 14 yeah. years of your life. Yeah. Uh, your adult life, you devoted to this sport, and now you're 30 years old. Yeah. You didn't finish college, yeah. right? Yeah. And you got to start all over. 
Yeah, it was a tough transition. I mean, you know, if anybody's familiar with what was going on in the States, 2010 was a very bleak year for economy. And I was calling in all favors to just try to find a job. And unfortunately, a friend of ours uh, wound up, you know, hooking me up and we wound up getting a job. But there was there was definitely, you know, a few week period where I was panicking. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was baseball. And I always did the lessons, but to me that wasn't, you know, an income. That was that was yes, an income, but that was what I loved to do. And that wasn't what was gonna pay the bills. It was just something I wanted to do. So there was a bleak time where I, I was definitely scared. And one thing led to another and things fell into place and I am here where I am. I mean you have a lot of good people around here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. very close knit yes. so it, it all worked out. Yes, it did, and, and uh, you know I, I have a lot of good people around me. Now, Joe, uh, you were talking about before writing a book, yeah. and one of those things that you're going to put in your book is your unique family situation, yeah. which I first learned about officially from news, a Newsday article yeah. a few years back, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was probably it's almost maybe ten years ago. The article yeah. came out 10 years about ago. Maybe 2005, I think it was when it was first broke. Okay, I was living in Southern California, yeah. time flies, and I think in the article mentioned that you bought your family a house yeah. in Florida. Yeah. Can you talk about that, you know, for those people who don't know anything about yeah. you, that unique situation that you grew up in, yeah. and how it shaped you, and, yeah. and how you have turned out to be such a good person, uh, despite what some yeah. people say in, yeah. in this country about that uh, sort of set up? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was uh, raised by uh, two women, uh, lesbians uh, from birth, and um, those are my parents, those are my moms, uh, you know, just like any other family was. Uh, it was a little bit different, a uh, diff little difficult as well, too, but um, I don't think any families nowadays have, uh, you know, the, uh, the easiest path, and, um, you know, with them, I had one that was a hairdresser and make me pretty and do my hair, and I had one that would take me out and back and throw baseballs with me. So, you know, I had, you know, what I needed in life, uh, and they provided me with love and, and everything I ever needed. Um, but it's just, you know, to people on the outside, it's unique. To me, it's, it is what it is. It's my family. Uh, a lot of people, when the first, you know, the story first broke, there was a lot of, a lot of things being said and, and stuff that I heard as a kid. So it didn't really bother me. More, I was worried about how my parents were going to be treated because, you know, those those are the people that brought me into this world and, and made the decision to bring me here. So I, I couldn't I couldn't have asked for for a better supporting cast, family-wise, friends-wise, to help me get kind of through that difficult situation. But to me, it's it's a beautiful story. Now, how are the, how the folks doing? They're down great. In they're great. They're down in Florida still. Uh -huh. um, miserable, just like every other married couple that's been together for 45 years. Did they but, legally get married? Um, they never legally got married. They, you know, by the time they left New York, uh, then New York legalized right. same-sex marriages. But uh, they're married in my eyes, and, and they're married to everybody, you know, in everybody else's eyes. Have you gone out and uh, been involved with any organizations? 
companies that advocate this or promoted it or anything like that? Yes, I did. I worked with a, a few few organizations. One was Collage, one was uh, Mountain Meadow, uh, one was uh, the Montsori Center who works with uh, uh, children and families that have you know gay, lesbian, transgender kids that are sick and they help support their medical costs. Uh, Mountain, Mountain Meadow was kids that were um, in families that had transgender, gay or lesbian parents. Um, so I worked closely with them, but I've been heavily involved and, and, and I'm gonna try to stay as long as I can. That's cool, that's Thank great. You. What's the future hold for you in baseball? I don't know. Tomorrow's a new day, tomorrow could be a new book. Um, but, you know, I hope I get back into it somehow, scouting, coaching, um, but me, Doing the lessons and doing the instruction is is keeping me uh, kind of happy right now. Have you thought about coaching, like at the college level? Or? I have, I have. Um, I, High school. I, I, I have. I thought about it. Um, I wanted to kind of get my feet situated here back and get my feet, you know, with coaching and doing the lessons before I kind of commit to that because it, it, it's a big task and 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 having a team rely on you when I have you know two small children now, you know, those are my priorities. And once I kind of get them going, you know, I definitely will be coaching at some point. Maybe scouting? I would love to scout. Yeah. Yeah, I love to scout. Back in Asia again? Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> mind it either. Wouldn't mind it either. Anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover? No, I just can't believe after almost 20 years we're sitting here yeah. doing this. I mean, it's crazy. I, re I remember having the most dominant defensive line in roller hockey with me and Dom and and now you're sitting here interviewing me. Uh, the Rockies. No, yeah. no, no. The Avalanche. The Avalanche. That's right. Yep. We, went, we went to the cup finals. Yeah, we went to the cup finals and we wound up losing yeah. uh, like three to two. I don't know why it sticks out of my head, but three to two. You keep in touch with Dom? We, we, honestly, like no. Dom? He uh, After high school, he got into the military and uh, you know I haven't even really even seen him. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's just one of those things. Did you wear underwear when you were pitching? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Under Armour. That's my out of left field question of the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Joe, how do the fans get in touch with you? Uh, they can get in touch with me through Facebook. Uh, Facebook is Joseph Valentine. Uh, they can also uh, get in touch with me through our facility here, which is uh, beastfacility.com. Uh, there's a link to email me. Um, but that's it to the most accessible ways. Are you on Twitter? No, not a big fan of Twitter. All right. <laughs> Joe Valentine, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. I interviewed Nigel Morgan. Yes. I was so nervous. What? Like, I well, because he's such a personality. Well, I thought he was going to like be like totally try to take the whole yeah. thing over and everything. Because yeah. remember, they ever see yeah. his interviews oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. after the game? He's yeah. like, ah, I got to yeah, yeah. go. Starts yeah. talking like yeah. WWE. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to like control this interview? Yeah. And he was like totally the opposite. Yeah. Well, that's they say. He's 99% of the time he's like he was with you but that one percent is it's usually after games yeah. when he's all amped up oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs>